Transhumanism The philosophy that the limitations of the human body should be transcended through the use of technology, specifically in technology internal to the body such as cybernetic implants or genetic modification. The hope is that such tech will make people hardier, smarter, longer-lived, potentially even immortal. I already covered many common implants in the setting's attitude towards AI and brain uploading in Tor Technologies. Here we'll go over the genetic modifications and more exotic mods that exist in setting. To start with, the parahuman baseline. While parahumans were based on humans and spliced with cosmetic genes from a variety of different animal species, there are a few traits that are common to the majority of the parahuman population that differentiate them from humans. Cardiomuscular. Perhaps the most notable change that corporate geneticists made was the increase in hemoglobin and myoglobin levels to the point where their blood and muscle tissue almost appear to be black in color. This greatly increases their oxygen retention by with minimal increase in internal air pressure, enabling them to remain conscious in vacuum for up to 10 minutes. After that, they go into a torpor in which they can survive for another hour without air. The geneticists of Alpha Centauri, both factions, were able to maintain this trait throughout the centuries. But in Tau Ceti and Epsilon Eridani, many parahumans lost much of their hemoglobin through mutations. Some from those systems refer to Centaurans derogatorily as Blackbloods. <sighs> Dietary. Their iron-rich blood requires an iron-rich diet. Almost as important as the development of the parahumans themselves was the development of a series of high iron legumes and algae to, that could be grown on ground-up asteroid. In modern Federation society, this isn't much of a problem. Those crops and vat-grown or nanofabricated meat is readily available. However, it does help its and why many Cetans and Outworlders lose their high hemoglobin levels. And it's one of the reasons why ghouls are obligate cannibals. Skeletal. While the skeletal structure was changed to accommodate body parts like muzzles, ears, and tails, the baseline skeletal makeup is barely different. While the first generation were bioprinted with titanium-reinforced bones, the complete lack of biological interaction exhibited by the metal made it impossible to code the trait into the genome. However, many parahumans, especially spacers and military, use microbots to reinforce their skeletons as adults. Environmental Tolerances Parahumans can tolerate a lower range of oxygen partial pressures than humans due to their blood. However, they experience oxygen toxicity at a lower partial pressure than humans would, which would still be substantially higher than old Earth's atmosphere when it was last inhabited. The presence of fur helps insulate parahumans but makes higher temperatures unbearable, 
especially as they lacked sweat lads. Between 20 and 35 degrees Celsius, the average parahuman tends to wear animal clothes. In many places where such temperatures are common, nudity is acceptable, especially for polar species. When parahumans need to spend extended periods of time at 40 C or higher, they make use of ventilated suits with coolant pipes. See also the environment suits worn by the uplift mission to the Kirshkins in A World Lost. Torpor. As mentioned above under cardiomuscular, parahumans can enter a deep torpor or hibernation when deprived of oxygen. The idea was that a transport filled with parahumans kept unconscious at a low oxygen level would save on life support costs until they arrived at a station. However, they still age while in torpor, so it's only useful for intrasystem or gate travel. Combined with microbots, however, a parahuman could spend centuries in a torpor, or even remain alive as a severed head. Now for some more or unusual modifications. In certain environments, the parahuman baseline actually proves disadvantageous. Technological tools can mitigate most of the discomfort, but for long-term inhabitation or an embargo on certain technologies, body sculpting and gene therapy to adapt to the environment can be worthwhile. Several templates are in fairly common use. Spacer, the original baseline retained by the Centauri population, but vanishing from the Cetan and Eridani gene pool between Exodus and Contact. Those born without this mod can choose to take it through nanosurgery, as well as plating their bones with titanium to prevent degeneration in zero-g. Aquaform. The oxygen concentration of Terran water is insufficient to sustain an endothermic metabolism, but it can supplement it. This mod adds gill slits to the sides of the neck and between the ribs, while closing off the alveoli of the lungs with sphincters while submerged, along with extending the web in between digits. With this mod alone, most can go 15 minutes or more between breaths of air. Combined with spacer mods, this time can be extended to two hours. Arid. An amplified renal system combined with subdermal water sacs to prevent water loss. On hot worlds, enlarged ears with veins for heat radiation are popular as well. Heavy worlder. Gravities between 1 and 1.5 G can be handled with some simple bone reinforcement and hard body training. If you want to live on a planet with two gravities or more, you need far more drastic modifications. Over the course of several months in a healing vat at steadily increasing gravity, usually in a specially designed Bernal sphere, synthetic muscles and bone are layered on until the subject looks somewhere between a gorilla and an Eltor from Mass Effect. All heavy worlders are quadrupedal relying on waldos or occasionally lifting a hand foot to grab something. Low Otzi Atmo A lighter version of the oxygen retention modifications included in the 
human baseline intended for thin planetary atmospheres or high altitudes. So modded parahumans have their ribcage expanded to accommodate higher lungs along with slightly elevated hemoglobin and myoglobin levels. Spacer mods just as well, function just as well in thin atmospheres as any, but they require a much hardier diet and many Cetan or Eridani colonies, as well as outworlds, favor this mod. Polar. Adapted to icy planets with very low surface temperatures. Usually patterned after ar polar bears or arctic foxes with small ears. Expanded nostrils, thick fur, blubber, and frequently black skin with transparent fur. The Cytorid Suite. Designed specifically for the heavy metal rich environment of Cytorin, the entire population of this savage outworld can tolerate downright toxic levels of lead, aluminum, and osmium in their diets, and they need to. During growth, their system deposits these metals in their bones in the form of metallic glasses, making their skeletons extremely hardy, but on the offhand that they do break, the ingestion of a decent amount of native meat can accelerate the knitting process. Once this bone mass is grown, their digestive tract simply stops absorbing the metals and excretes them harmlessly. And now, for where, where things can go wrong with, with transhuman tech ghouls. While there's many parts to having integral microbots, occasionally things can go dramatically wrong. Aside from the usual glitches in template settings or programmed apoptosis, every now and then you get something a tad more apocalyptic in nature. There is a reason why symbiotic microbots are not generally self-replicating. While having them produced by a prosthetic spleen can limit their speed, it also makes them easier to control. However, some models of microbots have the capability to go into VN mode during emergencies. At such times, some microbots will cannibalize dead or damaged cells at the site of trauma to rapidly produce additional microbots that help to patch up the wounds until cells from less vital areas can be grafted into place and transformed into the appropriate tissue. In and of itself, running microbots in VN mode isn't too much of a problem. In the same sense that a tumor with its... A cell with its anti-oncogenes deactivated isn't much of a problem. The problem comes when a parahuman using in microbots in VN mode severs severe bodily trauma usually around the death threshold. At this point, the auto-cannibalism routines will come dangerously close to killing the patient for real. However, the microbots will keep them alive and moving, no matter how emaciated they might become. And hungry. So very hungry. Has it been mentioned before that microbots can seamlessly graft living cells from other parahumans into another? or use dead cells to construct extracellular matrix and filler. 
When microbots are allowed to go out of control in a parahuman body, the results can be disastrous. If a parahuman with VN microbots suffers sufficient trauma, they may become what modern folklore has dubbed a dull duel. Or duel. Or duel. Between the injury and their microbots breaking down their body for raw material, most develop severe protein cravings in short order. Oftentimes, the microbots may depress higher brain activity, leaving an animalistic intelligence in control of the body. It gets worse when the brain is damaged, in which case the feral state may be permanent. In this state, the subject tends to become obsessed with absorbing additional protein to help their microbots repair them. <coughs> In Federation regions, the standard practice is to get them hooked up to an intravenous feed of synthesized parahuman proteins, but outside its reach, the most readily available source of the necessary proteins may be other parahumans. The protein hunter subsides after the subject consumes equivalent protein to a pound of parahuman flesh. Normal brain functions resume within the hour, assuming the brain was intact. Unfortunately, the microbot population in the subject remains at its high level and continues to cannibalize its host to maintain its numbers. Without a microbot reset at a Federation medical facility, they feel hungry again after a day or two, starting to revert to the feral state again within the week. <coughs> Some outworlds harbor covert infestations of intelligent dulls, usually initiated by a stranded Federation citizen preying on the unwary and occasionally infecting a new convert. Zombie apocalypses are fortunately rare as the microbots are carried only by blood and lymph. A simple bite isn't enough to transmit the infection, and the Federal Guard is often all too willing to K-bomb the site from orbit. Now for some more extreme mods. Aside from pantropic modification, negligible senescence, and brain implants, there are some parahumans who desire to become even more. <clears throat> Distributed consciousness. Sharing of memories and thoughts is possible via intensive implants and broad-spectrum signals with AI mediation, but only between bioprinted clones. The brain patterns between individuals are too different. This path is held in particular suspicion after one movement was declared nihilist following an internal war. Their descendants formed the outworld or polity of the Amelia Collective. A variant is the Telepathic Collective, in which the original go 
goes through radical hemispherectomy and grows a clone around the removed half of their brain. As with identical twins, the original and clone usually share enough natural QE parts to form a telepathic link. By replacing the removed hemisphere with a bioprinted clone organ, this process can be repeated, but bandwidth diminishes with subsequent iterations. Cybernetic Expansion First, the potential post-human has a digital simulacrum of their brain made. These are not considered sentient by Federation law, but are typically used as a sort of interactive memorial for the dead. Then they load the simulacrum into a quantum supercomputer capable of running multiple instances of the program, and wire the machine directly into their brain implants. The simulacrums vastly increase the user's multitasking capability while plugged in, but they tend to retreat from the external world as time passes. Their meat bodies lie in hibernation while they mentally explore countless simulations and calculations. Pseudobiological growth. In its simplest form, one removes the genetic limiting factors on their growth, allowing their body and brain to continue growing until their mass requires cybernetic reinforcement or a microgravity environment to support itself. However, many also end up embracing radical body sculpting into a body shape more capable of supporting its bulk, with many drawing inspiration from mythology. Dragons or griffins or chimeras are frequently popular. A soul merger. While conventional techniques of recording and saving brain states don't allow different individuals to share memories, there are translation programs that can attempt to extract a hollow audio sequence that another brain can view through conventional senses. Some people have tried to convert that translation into direct memory information they can use, and either voluntarily or coercively take the brain states of others and add them to their own. Dull Liege the Dolige, unlike most of their kin, is not satisfied with one hard-to-kill body. They have to be to have several. Along these lines, they modify their VN microbots to not only maintain their bodies indefinitely, but to convert other bodies into clones of their original host. At first, the VN bots install a remote puppeting program so the leash can prevent their minions from wandering off, but over the course of several months, the minion's brain is reformatted into a copy of their leash's brain, connected by microwave network. If the leash is other killed or otherwise disconnected, their minion may become an ordinary ghoul if the process is less than half complete. They may even have the VN bots removed from their system in fed space. But if the mind cloning is near finished, they become a new vector for the Le Duel Liege to spread.